my mother was showing me how to do the hardest thing of all, which is to to be sick and die. He was showing me how to do it with a certain amount of grace and humor, even in the state that she was in. Welcome to the Never Too Old podcast. I'm your host, Arthur Vibert, and today I'm talking with author Suzanne Finnamore. She's a talented writer who's had a successful career in advertising, but who has also written some very compelling memoirs about important times in her life, including her most recent book, My Disappearing Mother, a memoir of magic and loss in the country of dementia. Her writing is deeply moving, but surprisingly, considering the subject matter, also very funny. I spoke with her in 2023 before her book was published. I'm excited because I've been following various excerpts you've been publishing on Facebook, as well as the uh, uh, essay you had in the uh, New York Times last year uh, about the journey your mother is making, or as you say, she's living in a place called dementia. It's not who she is, which I think is a great way to typify it, which uh, I really appreciated. So tell me a little bit about how her dementia started to become a parent and, and, you know, what your response was to that? What did that feel like for you? Well, it was, I'm sure, atypical because, or maybe not, my husband and I lived in North Carolina and they lived in Hayward, California. So if you're not with somebody and you're not spending time with them, it's a lot easier to not know what's going on, really. I guess, I, I I mean, the last few visits before we moved back, it was obvious that my mother was frail and sort of on the outs. But she was hanging in there, kind of, you know. I mean, it was seemed like more of a physical collapse than a mental so much collapse. She She collapsed at one point and had a serious physical ailment that put her in the hospital and then the nursing home. And that really was the beginning of the real end. She broke her leg. And then in fact, it turned out she had actually broken both of her legs, Hmm. but the hospital somehow didn't pick up on that, which, you know, was also the start of me understanding that if you're kind of poor and Brown in America, you don't have the best care coming at you. And so it was more of a physical decline that then rapidly became a mental decline as well. But I wasn't there to take note. And also, every time I talked to my mother on the phone, she was just upbeat, the same upbeat person. But I did start to notice things like that she wouldn't remember things, obviously, like just, you know, things that she had always known she somehow didn't know anymore. And also, she started to email me in all caps. It sounds like a small thing. Now I realize that she was just not able to really discern between, you know, uppercase and lowercase. And and she was just sort of babbling in uppercase. <sighs> right. 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 And then, it, it, you know, she got her diagnosis when she was about 80, 81. She's 87 now. And that's when we knew for certain that she had dementia. 
Yeah. And and how did that feel to to hear that? Was it were you expecting that or was it a you know profound emotional thing for you? I was not expecting it. My mother was always very intelligent and, you know, just a wonderful communicator. And so, no, I didn't expect it at all. And it really, it didn't really hit home for me until we moved back. Because when we moved back, then it was obvious that, you know, they live in a double-wide mobile home in Hayward, California, in a senior community, right? Mm -hmm. And the minute we walked in, that's when it became really shocking and kind of devastating because this house that had always been really cheerful and well-ordered was in complete chaos, you know? Because my stepfather, Ron, who is eight years younger than my mom, had been caring for her and also he has uh, some back issues so it was the kind of thing where if, if he dropped something on the floor he didn't pick it up because he was in pain and he was using every ounce of his energy to care for my mom and he you know has was doing a good job with that but everything else had just gone to hell and so that was that was an awakening that was a moment of of growing up yeah, it, it's it's really funny. I, I had this similar experience with my mother because in, in the same way you were just describing, where you're not there all the time, you know, you, you kind of let it, she's fine, you know, it's, it's you know, she's, yeah, you know, she gets a little bit older, but, you know, she's fine. Right. But I remember, I remember when I had that moment of, oh, <laughs> she'd come down to visit me and she'd taken the bus and I picked her up in Santa Rosa, which is about 40 miles north of where I live. And... Uh, she wanted to take the bus back. And we had a nice weekend together. And so I took her up to the bus stop and waited there for the bus. And she started going through her wallet to make sure she had enough money. And she was going through it over and over and over again. And I looked at her face and she just had this look of absolute terror, like she didn't have the money. Mm-hmm. You know, what was she going to do? And I thought, Okay, I, I I just drove her home. Although up to Ukiah, another sixty miles, but I just I couldn't put her on that bus by herself at yes. that point. And I realized, you know, this the tra- trajectory is not good here. And it it took a while for that to play out, but that was when I first really knew what was going on. So. Yes, and you know, for myself, I can I can vouch or confess that I didn't really want to know what was going on. I had remarried. I was remarried at 50. And Tom had, uh, you know, two small children. My stepson was one and my stepdaughter Mm. was seven. And so I was pretty overwhelmed with my own life. And and I, I always felt like, well, my stepfather, who I adore, I thought Ron's taking care of my mom. All is well, you know. But of course it wasn't. Yeah. And what has your mother's reaction been to this? Did she know what was happening or at any point? Or she just kind of slowly slipped into I don't the land think, of dementia? I, you know, that's hard to say because, because it's hard to know what she knew. It seemed 
it did seem to us as though she was unaware of the changes. But I, but you know, really, I'm not sure that that was actually true. I'm sure that at the beginning, she started to notice things slipping. And my mother has also suffered from depression, as do I, you know, from her whole life. So I think that she was probably ashamed, really, to, to, to come to terms with what might be happening. And I think she, it just put her probably into more of a fear space of, am I going to be all right? Is my husband going to, you know, be here for me? And, you know, she, as always, my mother leans on my stepfather heavily. So I, I, the real answer is I don't really know what she knew. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense because look at look at how I didn't know or decided not to know as well. You know, you just, I don't know, it could be a f- part of my family culture, which is you're just going to carry on and you're going to, you know, be cheerful about carrying on. And that's, that's sort of the, the gestalt, you know, in my family. Tough it. Yeah. Tough it out. Tough it out yeah. and, and make jokes about it and, you know, try to remain cheerful, even if the boat's sinking kind of thing. <laughs> Boy, that all sounds so familiar. It's <laughs> That was, you know, my mother's one of four daughters. They grew up, her father was a Methodist minister and a pretty strict upbringing. And her mother had Alzheimer's and she and one of her sisters took care of her. Until they couldn't anymore, just kind of overwhelmed them. Yes. And, uh, and uh, because her grandmother had also had it, my mother had always been terrified of getting it. And, of course, of the, of the four sisters, she was the one who did. Mm. <laughs> None of the rest of them seemed to be worried about it. Yeah. And so it was like one of those, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like she, it's like she knew, maybe. Or she 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 suspected that she would get hit with the the dart, you know. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know her experience was though having seen her mother go through what she went through and spend the last seven or eight years of her life just being on a bed turned to avoid bed sores, mm-hmm. you know, fed through a tube. Um, she did not want that in her life. Yes, and so. Uh, she saw that movie. I can't remember who was in it. Amy Adams, maybe. Uh, have you seen that film? I can't remember the name of it, but it's. She plays a woman who gets early onset Alzheimer's. In the film, she decides that she's going to. She gives herself tests periodically, and if she fails the test, then she has pills that she's going to take. Oh, okay. To, to end it all. So she fails the test, and then she gets confused and can't take the pills, and. Uh, so her plan oh, darn. doesn't play out. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's um, not uncommon. So my mother's solution was not to take pills. She just stopped drinking and stopped eating. Okay. It took her three weeks, and uh, which was longer than anybody expected. But she'd had surgery, had an edema in her leg. So her leg kind of acted as a camel hump, <laughs> provided her body <laughs> with water. <laughs> it was the most outrageous thing. But I'll tell you something interesting, which is that as that progressed in, like, week two, she suddenly became much more lucid, and her memory oh. of many things came back, 
And we had some amazing conversations, and then she slipped into a coma and died. And I was just so grateful that we had those few moments, you know, to ask questions, any things that we remembered together, that kind of stuff. That's extraordinary, and, uh, and it's what yeah. a beautiful gift. You know, I had a chance, once I knew which way the wind was blowing, and before we moved back, you know, we took, Tom and I took up my parents to their favorite restaurant, which is Sizzler. And, you know, I basically interviewed my mom and asked her all the questions that I had about our family and her adoption and things like that, you know. And also, not lately, but in the early years, like like about four or five years ago or even three years ago, she would have those periods of lucidity where we could almost have a conversation, pretty much. And, and mm-hmm. every time it happened, it felt like this large, ornately wrapped present that I was getting. And it just felt, I mean, you really feel that. Like, this is a huge gift. Mom is here today. She's here for this one appearance only or, you know, several appearances. And so those are very rewarding for me. Yeah. And for her, I imagine, as well. I think the other thing that comes up, and I don't know how you've dealt with it or if you're dealing with it, uh, is just knowing that it's in your family, of course, makes us all aware yeah, that, sure. uh, yeah, we could we could also get it. <laughs> so yeah. have you thought about that? And if so, what are your, what's your take well, on that? Well, I've thought about it at length. And in the memoir that I wrote about all of this, I just said, look, here are some hard facts. I could have it. I don't get to know. You know, I just don't get to know. I mean, the gods are going to decide that, and then they're going to play a round of golf, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's an ugly disease, and I might have it. Um, So we don't get to know. Right. Right. Yes, and, and, and part of the problem is that, you know, you can go and find out if you have any of the uh, ge- genetic markers for uh, Alzheimer's, but, but there are so many other kinds of dementia Correct. that aren't Alzheimer's. So just because you don't have Alzheimer's doesn't mean you're not going to have dementia. Yes, and in fact, my mother tested negative for Alzheimer's when, when the testing time came. She tested negative for that. So she has... She she has just dementia, quote unquote just. She has it, and whether it's hereditary, well, we don't get to know, do we? No, no. My, my mother's experience was a series of mini strokes that happened over a period of years, and just kind of gradually chipped away at her. It was kind of like that scene in two thousand and one where he's taking all the different pieces of Hal's brain out one by mm-hmm. one. And uh, you could just see this gradual decline. It was it's heart-rending, really. It is heart-rending. nothing you can do about it. Uh, th- but I think that it is heart-rending. And also, what I noticed in being very close to my parents over the last, well, it's going to be almost six years now since we moved back to be near them, 
is that it becomes less, you get used to it as, as one can get used to anything. You get used to it and it just becomes the thing that is, you know. I, I, I don't, you don't have, or I didn't have the time or the bandwidth to have a severe emotional reaction because I was there a lot. So you get used to it is, is, is what happens. You know, she's been bedridden for, God, I think about five years now. Hmm. And so it's not like it's a joyous thing, but you do get no. used to it. And you just think, well, this is her life. This is the end of her life. I try to keep it in perspective that, that my mom had an amazing life until she was about 80. And then she got this illness. And, you know, it's... You, you start to look at it on balance. And on balance, my mother's had an incredible life. Would we have chosen this illness? No, it sucks. But this is her life, and this is the end of her life. You know, it, it could have been a, a, a variety of things. Is it a cruel disease? Yes. Is it evil? Yeah, it's evil. But you lose your ability to have those strong reactions over time. Well, they don't help. No, they don't anyway. help. In fact, you know, I, I first came back and I was really in the thick of it and I was really depressed about it and I was really just a mess. And then I noticed that after a couple of three years, I wasn't anymore. I, I mean, I, I was no longer in the throes of that reality. It just became like oxygen you know like oh well this is what it this is what it is you know and i again i i appreciate the fact that she had a really terrific terrific life until until she didn't i think that's that's a great insight and also i think keeping it in perspective it's like it's just a small portion of the total life that's you know? right and and you know you think about I thought about this a lot. My mother was failing. You know, I thought about her taking care of me when I was yes, just a little kid. Yes, of course. Kid. Yes. You know, and in many ways, giving up a lot that we don't have to give up now as much as, you know, because she was 20 when I was born. Yes. Just, just, I can't even imagine doing that now, but 20. You know, so she had to set everything aside and just raise children and, you know, and wipe our asses and do all the things that you do when you're a parent. And especially in those days, you know, when you're a mother, you did it all. Mm -hmm. So all the child, all the child raising. So it's hard to be resentful. and, And I can understand how people can be resentful, you know, if their parent is ill and they need to take care of them and it starts to take up a lot of your life. Certainly. Uh, it's important to keep it in perspective, too, because, you know, they did for us. That's really true, and I have the enviable position of of having a younger stepfather. They've been married now for 51 years, who, wow. who is her primary caregiver. And, you know, so that lets me off the hook to a great extent, you know, 
in contrast to if she were on her own. Right. Yeah, my mother had a support system. My sister stayed with her for the last mm-hmm. year. Um, and But also, her one of her sisters and several of her nieces lived nearby. So she wasn't completely alone. So made a huge difference, I think, for her. And of course, I wasn't that far. Was, mm-hmm. You know, a couple hours drive, so I could go up often if I needed to. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's not fun. <laughs> but on the other hand, it's, you know, it's it's nice to be able to be there for them as well. Oh, yeah. You, know, you could look back on it. And- you know, that's the thing, Arthur, is that when I go to my parents' I mean, as I wrote about in, in the New York Times essay, but also in the memoir, when I go to my parents' house in Hayward, I'm, not, I'm really going to dementia, capital D. You know, it's like a place. And within that place, certain things can happen and, and certain things can't happen, you know. And the one thing that is really apparent when I go there is that what I'm doing is deeply meaningful, you know, the, for me to go in and and help my parents is an act of love and is probably, you know, the most meaningful thing other than raising my son that I'll ever do. I never, in the beginning, I would get depressed and sort of avoid it. And then after a while, that just fell away. I don't know why. I think I just, like I said, I no longer had the bandwidth for all of the oh my god reactions and the horror and the oh my god she doesn't remember this like after a while you don't have the energy to have all those negative reactions each time you're confronted with your parents you know and it 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 mellows into something else which is kind of beautiful which is this is my duty and it's my honor it's an honor to see her To see her out of this life because she's been a just an incredible mother, you know, and we were always very close, and um, that doesn't always happen. And it's true that dementia doesn't always happen either, but the kind of deep, rich relationship that we had also doesn't always happen. So, you know, in a in a round of, it, I mean, if if this were a hand of poker, I would I would take it, you know. Yeah, yep, yep, I hear that. It's, (laughs) I I think our culture is one that likes to hide these things Mm -hmm. as much as possible, especially as people get older, kind of push them off into a corner somewhere, and, you know, you go over there, and, you know, if if I need a down payment in my house, I'll get back to you, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) until then, Mm -hmm. stay over there. And, and, uh, and, And that goes for things like, illness and dementia and death, you know, all those things are hidden from us, which is really unfortunate. Yes. Because all, all those things are part of life as well. And and they're not necessarily pleasant things, but they're things that so many of us, well, we all experience death eventually. And I, I think it's unfortunate that we hide it because it's such an integral part of life. It's something that, you know, we need to know and learn from and experience because Eventually, we're going to have to be there, and uh, which is why I was grateful that I was able to be there. Yes, with her at the yeah, end. Yeah, absolutely, you know? absolutely. Once I did realize that my mom was failing 
dramatically. I I grew a real sense of urgency back in North Carolina to return to the Bay Area. I, I was just not going to be happy until we moved back because I, I just couldn't stand the thought of my parents trying to go through all of this by themselves, you know. And I also, like you said, I was acutely aware that I wanted to be there for the end of her life. Now, I might add that my mother is somehow very strong in her body because like she's been in hospice for a year and they recently said well we're going to take her out of hospice because she's not declining (laughs) so I mean she's you know it's like is she going to live forever maybe it certainly (laughs) seems like it sometimes so you know we're not having a, a swift dissolution to this and that's the way it's supposed to be, obviously, or else it wouldn't be this way. Yeah. And there's so much to learn from it, too, about ourselves and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just how how we handle this kind of stuff. You know, it's like so different from our lives in advertising, for example. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Which, I mean... It's so funny because I remember taking it all so seriously back in the day, and recently I just dumped <laughs> boxes of awards and tapes <laughs> right. and all. It's like, who the fuck, wa- who the fuck wants to see I all that crap? Just t- <laughs> when I moved back to California, I, I, I very consciously got rid of all of my advertising detritus. Yeah. And yeah, it it was a nice way to make a lot of money at one point in time but it has I mean you couldn't fill a thimble with you know the meaningfulness of it it's just non-existent really there's none <laughs> <laughs> it was meaningless, it was meaningless. completely and utterly meaningless, meaningless. except and I always it was ex- but I also kind of was aware of that at the time as well and I thought wow I'm really getting away with something here I'm making money at something that doesn't matter at all. And it's complete nonsense and foolishness. But I guess there's a time for that. It was fun. It was fun. It was fun. It was I fun. still do, I still and, do uh, some freelance advertising. I did some work with Robin Raj, and that was actually really fun last year. And I still do some with Ken Woodard, my partner, forever. You know, if it comes up, I say yes. But that's, you know, that's my business model, Arthur. I say yes to everything. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good business model. That is, that is um, the model, yeah. I, I have no objection to working in advertising. I do mostly video stuff these days, yeah. but I have no objection to working in advertising. I just don't want to be in the industry, you know, because it's fun to work with your friends. <laughs> you just don't want it to For me, that's you. what it... <laughs> No, no. Like, like a lava flow, you know. It's like, yeah, want to right. step aside, yeah. Or, or some horrible slime or something. Yeah, it's just like I'll be, I'll be over here. Um, yes, I know what you mean about working with friends and people you've worked with before. There's, there's a huge comfort level, and you both know that you know it doesn't really matter, and you can just take it as it is, and it's easy without any of the politics or silliness. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And it's funny because I, you know, there's a lot of people who complain in, you know, about aging out of advertising and all that. And I would think about that. And I think even if, you know, my advertising career hadn't ended in terms of working in agencies in 2002 because, um, you know, the dot bomb happened mm-hmm. and I got laid off. I had other opportunities, but I just didn't really want to be in advertising anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I aged out of it personally. Right. It's like I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't be serious enough about it anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, anyway. the other thing that's apparent, I can relate to what you just said, and also, so during the recession of two thousand and eight, I lost my job in advertising, and I was fifty, and had to let go of my staggeringly expensive house in Marin County. I was a single mom and Pablo was nine or ten. And so it was right away I I understood that, oh, I'm going to have to leave California because California is far too expensive for me. And so that was what took me, took my son and I to Durham, North Carolina and bought bought a very small house based on the internet, like had never visited it in person. And that was kind of an exciting change in some ways. And it, But it was a necessary thing. I didn't have, it wasn't really a choice. I had to go. It was time to go. And when I got there, I was still 50. And <laughs> I didn't know a <laughs> single person. And so I thought, well... I know one way I could meet somebody and kind of figure out where the coffee shops and restaurants are. I'll go on match.com for, I got an email saying, Oh, just $20 for a month of match.com. And I thought, well, I have $20. That's about all I have. And so I did that. And then within a couple of months, I met my husband, the love of my life, Tom. So, it all seemed to have some sort of plan in place that I was supposed to leave and I was supposed to meet this man who then would take me back to the Bay Area in the fullness of time and, you know, who loves my son as his own and just was a beautiful thing that never would have happened if I hadn't left, you know. Yeah, I, I, think, I think sometimes you have to upend everything. Yes. It was what I called a you know? move of size. I thought, I can't make a small move. I can't just move to an... I could, but it wasn't appealing to me to try to find a low-rent apartment in Fremont or Union City and try to cling to the life I had. I thought, I have to make a move of size, and and I did. So now I'm living back here, and every day is a gift, and because I know... I know things I didn't know before, you know, and it's like every day is almost like I'm living a, a vacation life in the Oakland Hills that I that I know won't last forever. That's the difference now. I know it won't last forever, and I know that we will make another move of size, and I'm kind of excited about it. Well, you know, you can do it now, and good things happen when you do. Yes, good things happen when you do, and also I'm not doing it alone this time, which is 
a big a big right. deal. So it all works yeah. out. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. It all works out, yeah, I guess, great. you know, until it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that. <laughs> but, you know, as I keep pointing out to Max, and it's funny because what I realized is when you're when you're 20 or 25 or whatever, you really have no perspective because you haven't been through right. anything yet. I mean, you feel grown up and you feel like you know everything and all that. Uh, but you've never really been up against, I mean, a few people have, but, but, but you haven't had the opportunity to see things get bad and they get better again and then get bad and go through a few cycles to understand that that's kind of the, um, the creativity and destruction cycle that we all have to go through right, right. in life. And it's like, it helps to go through that, to learn, you know, okay, it's bad now, but it's not going to be bad forever because everything changes. Mm -hmm. Yes, with luck it does. Yeah, it's a, the nature of the year. Of course, you just, just keep changing for the worse, I guess, but <laughs> we'll, we'll hope that doesn't happen. Well, there are some things that, that, that degrade and degrade quite obviously as time passed. Then I guess... That would be the, our physical bodies and our that's that, that that should be the biggest teacher we have. But you know, because we we can also be in denial of that as well. Yeah, and I don't know. It's for, from my perspective. I, I know it's difficult, especially for women, because the expectations are that you're always supposed to look like you're, you know, young. Be young and, and pretty. And yeah. <laughs> young and pretty and, 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 and ready to have babies. You know, so men don't don't get that so much. But but even so, at a certain point, I just thought, what? Well, I'm not going to worry about it. It is what it's it what is. It you know, I take yeah. care of myself. And, and, I mean, if there were any hope of winning against time, then I would probably continue to try. But there isn't any hope of winning, you know. Father Time is undefeated, and <laughs> and I'm not special. So you are special, just not in that way. <laughs> yeah, I'm special, in, I'm special in other ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. I will say that when I decided or began to write about my mother's last journey in dementia, that was helpful for me to write about it, and it was it came on like a fever, like. Suddenly, I was writing, you know, four or five hours every day. And, you know, without a book contract, without anything to, t you know, without any indication that that would be a good idea, I just started doing it because it was my way of making sense of it. And, you know, in my entire life, that's been my coping mechanism is to write about things until they're over or until, until I've made some sense of them until... I feel like I have some agency over it. And, you know, I wrote the memoir in a fever, really, of emotions and realizations as well. Because I realized I was being, that I was being given a master class on how to die. And, yeah. uh, you know, that my mother was showing me how to do the hardest thing of all, which is to, to be sick and die. He was showing me how to do it with a certain amount of grace and humor, even in the state that she was in, is in. Yeah. It's funny how when you have a loved one with dementia, you slip into past tense. 
even though they're alive. That's interesting in and of itself. You're living in two time, living in two worlds. You're living in the world where your mother still exists, and you're also living in the world where your mother is gone at the same time. Yeah. Yes. That's that's really so true. It's different than if somebody has a terminal disease, mm-hmm. because because you know that has an end point right. to you it. Get, you say, well, you're going to have six months to live, or you're going to they're going to make it for a year or they're not going to make it more than a week, you know, and dementia doesn't have any of those timelines at all. Which nope. makes it lasts as long as it lasts. slippery and evil in, in that way too. But you learn to accept the things that are completely out of your control. And it's something that as I say, I know this isn't the final lesson. Like, my mother is teaching me a lot of lessons. But all the lessons I've learned from her so far, I'm, I'm aware that there is a final lesson that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. 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 They're powerful lessons. And, uh, and maybe, I, I think it's... I'm sorry. For, and maybe they are lessons ahead. that only a mother can teach, that only a parent can teach. Yeah. You know, so in that way, the roles are, are not reversed. In some ways, the roles are completely reversed, where, you know, I'm caring for my mother as she used to care for me as a small child. But on the other hand, she's still teaching me things as a mother. And, you know, so I'm, I'm committed to be present for those things. It's so important. You got to be. You can't. You can't have the attitude. And I think it's be very easy to slip into that feeling of I'm going to separate myself emotionally from this moment because it hurts or it's uncomfortable or it's embarrassing or whatever mm-hmm. the reason is, you know. And instead, just say I'm going to be here for this, whatever form it takes. Right. Uh, well, because I, I also believe Arthur, though, that there are people who are who. Who simply can't handle it and who turn away from it because they're not equipped to to look at it, you know. And I, I used to be more judgmental about family members or people who who weren't really showing up anymore. But then I realized they can't handle it, and I can. Yep, well, that's true. How's Pablo taking it? Has he been to visit or what's? Yeah, his? you know, the last time he was here, he played a soft acoustic guitar for my mom and she just loved it and he just sat on the edge of her bed and played her music and usually she would get irritated at something like that she has a very short attention span but she just listened and was soothed by it so you know he has that gift of music and she doesn't remember him I mean she doesn't remember me either until it's like an incantation. Like I walk in the house and I plant myself in her sight line because her neck and her head don't work the way they used to. She's almost frozen to where she's staring ahead and that's the only way she can look now. So I plant myself mm-hmm. directly in her sight line and I say what I call the incantation, which is mommy. And that's the magic word. And then she knows who I am. But it has to be a very deliberate presentation. Yep. Yep. 
yeah, you you know, it's 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 like anything else that's sort of chronic and disturbing, which is, you know, at first you said, oh, I, but she still knows me, and I I won't be able to handle it the day she doesn't know me. Well, that day eventually does come where you where I would come and go, and she still didn't know me. And at first it was really traumatic, and then that too became normal. And yeah. and so that each time she does know me is the gift now versus the expectations. Wow, you really learn to whittle down expectations when your parent has dementia. You just your expectations get whittled all the way down to a tiny toothpick versus the way you used to when you'd visit your parents, you'd come and they were the same and, and you were free and you could come and go and there was this dynamic that that just doesn't exist anymore but now right. i'm 64 now i'm old now i understand that oh this is for me too i'm also no longer young so that probably makes it easier maybe <laughs> <laughs> you know, something else though you feel you know you can't help but feel pretty young and pretty good when your parents dying you know of dementia you you know that you have your faculties you know that you're able-bodied and it's brought home to you very sharply so there's a lot more gratitude for what i do have now yeah it really does give perspective i find that exactly the same thing i i I don't know if it's just my my mother going through what she went through and dying and then leaving this whole house full of crap behind yes the crap crap element is intense (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which my sister and I had to get rid of. <laughs> I was like, boy, I sure don't want to leave that for Max. But he will. does not want to have to go through this. <laughs> know that you will, though. See, that's the thing. <laughs> you know, it's going to be different for well. our kids, but, you know, that's a hope as well. Yeah, you know, Tom and I are, every time we go there, we, we try to take away a few cubic feet of crap. But oh, it yeah. just regenerates. Yeah, I think it breeds when we're not yeah, there yeah. in the dark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is all new crap. Somehow, it, yeah, it just materializes from from like a dollar a dollar store in the sky. It just materializes. But you know, again, you're so you're so grateful. A that you can help, and B, you're grateful that it isn't your turn yet. And I'm really. Yes. It's not my turn yet, you know. And there's a lot to be said for being aware and being present in whatever stage you are of your life. And to not feel like, oh, this is just going to go on forever. And, hey, you know, I, you know, I may not die. You know, I mean, you just you get past all that. You go, oh, yeah, I'm going to die. And I, I might die in this exact way, in fact. And, and we don't get to know. We were all living sort of close together in Marin County. And my husband left me and started a new family. And there, I felt there was nothing for me to read. Other than, like, Nora Ephron's Heartburn was my... I loved that book and I read it over twice. And then I thought... Well, what else else is there for me to read? And I didn't see anything that there were a lot of self help books that were sort of grim or facile, and so I thought, well, I'm going to have to write this book myself. And then I wrote Split, you know, a memoir of divorce, 
because there wasn't anything for me to read. And the same thing happened with this book, is that I, I looked around for books by sons and daughters of dementia, you know, loved ones who were saying goodbye, the long, horrible, slow goodbye. And I didn't find a lot of books. There were some, but I wanted more. So I thought, well, I'm going to have to write this. Before I did. Well, your unique voice, I'm sure, will do wonderful things for that book. Because you're what, what always is great about reading your books is that they're always so readable. And there's and, and it's hard to imagine how, but I know that you will make me laugh in this book. That's what I tried to tell people about the divorce book. I said it's funny, and they looked at me like an abject horror. Like, how could this be fun? It is fun. So, but I was it was also for me writing about my mother in dementia was also a way for me to say all the ugly things that I was thinking, and I know other people. You know, in other words, it was a it was a confessional, but it was also mm-hmm. a story. It's you know, again, it, it's more of a story of my mother's life than it is of her time in dementia. Although that's there too. Except that's so important because, as you you know, your mother is not that's not who she is, as you as you said in the in the essay. That's um, just where she, where she is. It's not who she is. And in order to understand that, you have to know all the stuff that came before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be pretty boring to have a book just about my mother's dementia. It would not fly. But you know, her she lived an amazing storied life. Born in Puerto Rico during the height of the depression, abandoned by her mother and her father. And buried in New York by Abuelita, my great grandmother, who saved her life. And that was just the beginning. So my mom had an amazing life. She also worked for years as a spiritual medium and used to give me card readings all the time. There's one in the book in the very beginning. My mother is pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. And it's great to honor her and to honor my whole family in a way that my previous books were not able to do. Thank you for joining me today on the Never Too Old podcast. Suzanne's book, My Disappearing Mother, A Memoir of Magic and Loss in the Country of Dementia, is available on Amazon and wherever else fine books are found. Next week, my guest is First Assistant Director Nilo Otero, who most recently worked on the film Oppenheimer, directed by Christopher Nolan. We had a wide-ranging conversation in which we talked about many different things, including how he manages to thrive in a business of young people as he nears his 70th birthday. I hope you can join us. I think at some point, Chris will say, let's, let's take a walk. It'll take me behind the barn and shoot me in the head. You know, it's when I can't hunt anymore. That's, <laughs> I think that's it. That's it.